Well, if you would, join me in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But tonight we're going to talk about doing things God's way. Um, <clears throat> so we'll, we'll, Lord willing, we'll read this entire chapter, uh, but we won't read it up front. We'll just kind of break it down into different segments as we go through tonight. But to give you some context of what is taking place here in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, Saul has been killed in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 31. Uh, the end of the book there, Saul is killed. And in chapter 5, David has been anointed king over all of Israel. And this was after a short reign of Ishbosheth, Saul's son, that Abner had appointed uh, after the death of Saul. And, and uh, then <clears throat> Abner defects to David. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. If you like adventure stories and those kind of things, just get in your Bible. Um, and just the, I mean, we're talking about deceitfulness and, and overtaking kingdoms from other people. It, there's some exciting stuff that takes place in, in the Word of God. And so uh, I would encourage you to read that other than whatever the latest adventure story is out there. I don't follow too many authors in modern books. But um, as I was reading this and preparing and, and you look in the Chronicles and, and in the books of Samuel, there's just so much stuff. They lived, uh, I mean, we, when we think of these Bible we call them Bible characters, but these were real people. And they lived this. And boy, I was thinking my life's pretty boring compared to some of what, you know. But, so, but there was a lot going on that's leading up to uh, what we're going to look at tonight in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And uh, so Joab, or Abner defects, and then Joab kills him, and David doesn't know he kills him, and he finds out. And, and there's just so much that, that was taking place leading up to this. Uh, but so here... In chapter 6, David is ruling over the whole nation of Israel now. Uh, so Ishbosheth is dead, and, and all the tribes come to David, and, and they uh, anoint him king over the entire nation of Israel. And so his throne is military and politically secure. Uh, he's got victory, and, and of course we know that, uh, that God ordained that, and he, and he allowed it, and but during the reign of Saul, the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel was terrible. It had deteriorated greatly. And 1 Chronicles 13.3 says this, And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. And this is David speaking there. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And so David, is, his desire is to restore uh, the spiritual condition of the nation just like uh, politically and, and otherwise, that it has been re restored. And so uh, David desires to bring the ark back uh, to the capital and to establish the proper worship of the Lord again. And so that's what the, this chapter is primarily focusing on. And in his attempt to restore the nation spiritually, he fails to do it God's way. And so we need to be careful in our Christian lives because sometimes we have the best of intentions but if we're not doing it God's way, uh, we're going to miss the mark. We're going to transgress. We're going to sin. And we're going to uh, have trouble along the way. And, and as we look into this tonight, we'll see in this circumstance, somebody lost their life because they failed to do things the way God had commanded and God had, had told them to do that. So let's begin reading in verses 1 through 7. And we'll look at a few things. i got about four, th four thoughts for you tonight. Uh, Lord willing, we should be able to get through all of it. 
Uh, verse 1 in 2 Samuel chapter 6, Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him uh, from Baal of Judah to bring from thence the ark of God, whose name is called uh, by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in uh, Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, of Abinadab which was at uh, Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God in Ahio, went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all ma- uh, manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came uh, to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. Let's pray. Father, tonight we do thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that as we look at these things tonight, Lord, that you would just give us something, Lord, that would help us to honor you with our lives in a greater capacity, that would draw us nearer to Christ, Lord, that we might serve you better. And Father, we'll just trust you. And Lord, you know the heart need of each and every one here tonight. And I just pray that you touch each heart only as you can, Lord, that you would just encourage and strengthen and Lord, even convict if needed. And Father, that each one would leave this place closer to Christ. And we'll give you the glory for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. And so here we see David gathers these 30,000 troops. And, and if you really want to look at this, there's a lot more that took place leading up to this. If you look in, in Chronicles and uh, other parts, and you could really read the whole uh, books of uh, really half of First Samuel and then everything up to this point in Second in Samuel. But... Um, uh, he had called a lot, the, the whole nation of Israel together. But in here, they, they, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, he specifically talks about the 30,000 troops. And so he takes them to Baal of Judah uh, to retrieve the ark. And this is a small town in the area of Jerusalem, the capital. It is also known as Kirjath Jerim. And I looked that up, and you can say it in the Hebrew tongue. And I can't pronounce it that way, so you just get my English. Uh, interpretation there, but um, or Bela, you can look at First Chronicles chapter thirteen. It kind of breaks down that area uh, or that place where the the ark was was stored, and it was kept in a private residence there uh, since the time of Samuel. First Samuel seven verses one and two tell us this: and the men of Kirjath Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Benadab uh, in the hill. And that word or that in the hill there is Gibeah. That's what Gibeah means: Gibeah in the hill and and uh, I spent a lot of time looking at Gibeah. There's four distinct Gibeahs in the Bible. Uh, and so, but when you look at this, Kerjath Jerem, and it was a hill likely in that area. And again, if you look at First Chronicles 13, you'll see that there. But anyway, and it came to pass while the ark abode in Kerjath Jerem that the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And so uh, the ark had been there at Abinadab's place, and and David is ready to go retrieve it. Again, he wants to restore uh, the spiritual condition of the nation. He wants to bring uh, back the worship of the Lord. And we know that David was a man after God's own heart. And so that would be his desire. And uh, David is probably one of the most well-known Bible characters. And I think anybody would say that it's... Pro- uh, a lot of folks would say he's one of their favorites. 
And I know that's true for me, because when you look at the life of David, uh, he did some amazing things. Uh, I mean, when you kill a lion and a bear and, and you take on Goliath as a young kid and, and you just see the amazing things that God did in his life, but he failed uh, more than once, many times. Uh, but God still says he was a man after his own heart. And, and so uh, when we look at this tonight, just remember uh, that even in our failure, God loves us. Uh, God's not giving up on us. Uh, but, but, and it gets pretty, pretty serious here pretty quickly. Is, I mean, we just read the verse there. Uh, somebody dies because of their error. And David led them to do that. Uh, so really, the, that blood is on David's hands. But, so they, they arrive here uh, to get the ark, and they place the ark on a new cart driven by Uzzah and Ahio. In his zeal to bring back the ark to Jerusalem, uh, apparently David overlooks some instructions from God on how to deal with the ark. Uh, in his zeal, uh, maybe he's lacking knowledge, but God had given distinct commands on how to transport the ark. And David goes and he takes this and he, and I mean, he, this, there was a lot of effort to get ready to go do this to the point where they bought a new cart or they built a new cart. Uh, they, they went through a lot of effort, uh, but they went about the wrong way. Uh, they didn't do it according to the word of God. In Proverbs 16.25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we know that was true in this account. Somebody lost their life because they were just, they thought they were doing the right thing. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. David failed to seek the counsel of the Levites, which I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but he goes back and does that later. And we'll look at that a little bit tonight. But um, he failed to do it properly. God gave specific requirements for the transportation of the ark. Uh, look, you can look, you can turn to Exodus chapter 25, uh, verses 12 and 15 in Exodus 25 say this, and it says, And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and the two rings shall be in the one side of it, and uh, two rings in the other side of it, and thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, and thou shalt put the staves in the rings uh, by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. So there was a means of transport. If the ark was being stored properly, those, those rods, those staves should have been in there still. They weren't supposed to, to, to leave that. And, and perhaps they were. Uh, there, there's nothing to indicate that they weren't there. And maybe they just used them to lift them on this new cart. Uh, but the ark was to be covered and transported by the Kohathites, uh, the priestly descendants of Kohath, uh, a son of Levi. We'll look at uh, Numbers 4.15 in a moment, and it was to be carried on their shoulders. God had specific requirements for how this was to be done. And they were to use the poles and the rings uh, that were not to be removed, and it was not to be placed on a cart and pulled by animals, even if it was a new cart. You know, sometimes we get this idea that, oh, I got this new idea. You know, we can do it this way, you know. Perhaps they thought, boy, those, uh, those Kohathites, those priests, man, they're not very strong, and and that thing gets heavy and it gets burdensome. And if we put this thing on a cart and we have some animals pull it, it will be a lot easier on us. Uh, maybe they had some ideas uh, to do it better. Boy, uh, we can 
carry it a greater distance in a, in a shorter period of time if we would do something like this. Uh, regardless of, of what their reasoning was, it was wrong. Uh, and they weren't following what God had directed them to do. And of course we know as they, as they move, they begin to celebrate and they're singing and, and they're, it's accompanied with all kinds of music we see in verse 5. Uh, but when the ox stumbles... You know, have you, you guys have carried something, right? And, and when something starts to shake, what do you instinctively do? You, you reach out to grab that thing to brace it, because you don't, especially if it's valuable. It, it's precious, and boy, you don't want, but God had given the command, don't touch the thing. And so uh, we know that Uzzah reaches up there instinctively uh, to steady that thing and to protect it, and God strikes him down. God takes his life. It says, because of his error. Uh, listen, God had given them instructions. Numbers 4.15, And when Aaron and his sons made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is set to, uh, forward, after that the sons of Koath shall come to bear it, but they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Koath in the tabernacle of the congregation. God was very explicit in his expectation of how this was going to take place. Uh, Levites, Kohathites, and they don't touch the thing. They grab the poles, they throw it on their shoulders, and they carry on. Uh, but in this circumstance, David and the people uh, failed to do that. And listen, I think sometimes we get a little apathetic in, in our Christian lives because God doesn't deal with us immediately. I mean, in this situation, somebody dies and it's like, whoa, hold on. We've done something wrong. But in our lives, because God's mercy and grace and he allows things to carry on, uh, we think we're getting away with it. The reality is we're not. Uh, but at some point, God will deal with that sin. And, and, and Pastor preached on that recently. But listen, sometimes people will, well, how could God do such a thing? Uh, but the severity of God's discipline must be viewed in light of his absolute holiness. And, and one, God has the right to do such a thing. Uh, to begin with, who are we to question him? And so God requires sacred, sacred tasks to be done in a sacred manner. And God established these things for a reason. And, and so Uzzah's death is a lesson. And we have examples of Nadab and Abihu that offered strange fire. God took their lives in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 10. And Achan in Joshua chapter 7, uh, God takes his life because of his sin. And then one of the well-knowns, we have a song about it, Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire, to plot, to cheat, to try to get ahead. Oh, none of you know that song? Uh, Brother Mac does. He's junior church, so he sings that. But listen, all these people failed to take God serious. Uh, they tried to deceive. Ananias and Sapphira, they said, you've lied unto the Holy Ghost. You know, they think that they're, they're trying to get away with something and cheat God. And, and, uh, and so... Uh, but God dealt with these, and these were really at transitional times, uh, those examples that I gave in, in different biblical eras, if you will, Ananias and Sapphira, obviously early on in the New Testament. But uh, some of you tonight might say, well, it was David's idea to transport the ark on a cart. Why'd somebody else have to die? Uh, they were all complicit in what was taking place, I believe is, is part of that, but... Um, but I think here is one of the most important principles or lessons that we can learn from this passage is uh, when we sin, innocent people suffer. 
in the wake of our disobedience. Your sin will affect others. And so Uzzah was there, no doubt, just trying to honor his king and, and what the nation was trying to accomplish at that time. And, and, and I'm sure he was probably familiar with the requirements. I, I can't say that uh, dogmatically, but, uh, but listen, they had erred. David had led them in the wrong direction. He had led them into sin. And Uzzah paid the ultimate price. And tonight, I want to remind you, your sin affects other people. And men, you have the greater responsibility here, I believe. As the leaders of our home, God takes our responsibility very seriously. And so ought we. Sometimes, again, to backtrack a little bit, when we do something and God doesn't deal with us right away, and we think we're getting away with it, and things are okay, and wow, nothing's happened. There's no judgment. There's no, uh, and, and so we, we kind of carry on, but uh, that sin will find you out. That error will be made known. And I'm telling you, based on experience and in my own life, and as I, I have looked at the lives of other people that I know, uh, when somebody is involved in sin, it does not affect them and them alone. So wives, your sin is affecting your family. Husbands, your sin definitely is affecting your family. Children, our children's sin affects our homes. And we ought to take it just as serious as God takes it. When we err from what God has taught us and we err from the Word of God, God takes it serious. And just because He hasn't executed judgment and and slaughtered your husband because of his sin does not mean that that sin will not be made known and need to be dealt with. The lesson is to do things God's way. We can obey just part of the Word of God or part of the Bible. We must obey it all. Obeying God's Word completely means not turning from it to the left hand or to the right. And that can be hard at times because sometimes it's not convenient. Sometimes it's not enjoyable. Sometimes it's not what we want. But we must stay true to the word of God. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Joshua 1.7 Listen, these commands that the people of Israel and, and that David had, they should have known all of this. They'd been told to teach their kids and, and their little ones the scriptures and and to be faithful to read and to meditate into the Word of God, that they might be successful. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. God has established the way, and we must be obedient to walk in it. Do you think you can come up with a better way to navigate life than the Creator? What a ridiculous thought, but how often practically do we do that? Well, I think I can, I, can, I think I can navigate life. I think I can handle my marriage better than what God lays out. I think I can train my children better than what the Word of God teaches me to do. We would never say that verbally, but in practice, we do it all the time. Because we're negligent to execute the Word of God in our lives. We need to submit ourselves to God and His Word. Listen, He knows the best and He has the best for us. 
He wants nothing but good for us. But David here and the people had neglected to know the word of God and to obey him, and they paid dearly. Uzzah loses his life because they failed to obey the word of God and the commands of God in regards to transporting this. And so when we do have sin in our life, right, when we do fail, what do we do? David, he rectifies the sin and, and he goes and he searches the word, I believe. It doesn't say that explicitly, definitely not in this passage, but as we go through here. But he goes back and, and he figures out, okay, where did we mess up and how do we get this thing right? And it was just, he returned to the word of God is the easy answer. But David, he becomes displeased and he's afraid to take the ark to Jerusalem. And so he leaves it in the house of Obed-Edom. Uh, for three months. Let's read verses 8 through 12. And David was displeased because uh, the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And uh, the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. What happened to alleviate David's fear of the ark? I mean, when they were in air, God struck somebody dead. And so what has changed here? All of a sudden, he, boy, God's blessing this man that, uh, you know, apparently that was, uh, he's a Philistine that was faithful or, or loyal to David and to Israel. And, and, and when David hears that God's blessing him because of the ark and, and the reasons <clears throat> uh, behind that, uh, or reason behind his blessing is because of the presence of, uh, of the Lord or the ark, the, the picture of God's presence. And uh, what, what changed in David? It says, boy, he went and got it. Uh, here in this passage, it kind of makes it sound like he just, well, I'm just changing my mind. Maybe he got the card out again. Uh, that's not what happened. He didn't get the card out again. Uh, we find out in a parallel passage, First Chronicles, if you want to turn there, First Chronicles 15, some more details about what took place. before David goes in and gathers the ark from Obed-Edom. David goes back to Jerusalem and he summons the heads of the Levitical families. He tells them to sanctify or purify themselves so that they can transport the ark. Uh, or verse 12. Well, verse 1 says, And David made his house in, uh, in the city of David and prepared a place uh, for the ark and pitched a tent for it and they did save none ought to the... Excuse me. Then said David, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord unto that place which he had prepared it for it. And David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites and the sons of Kohath, the royal the chief and the brethren and 
120, and, and I won't bore you with my inability to pronounce all the names that are coming up, but um, listen, uh, David must have went and done some Bible study. He went and educated himself and said, hey, we made gross error before. What do we do? And in verse 1, it says he went and prepared some things. He, he built his house, and, the, and they built a tent for the, uh, the ark to be housed in. And look at verse 12. It says, And said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. And he says, Sanctify yourselves, both you, ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord of God unto the uh, place that I have prepared for it. And so he says, Hey, we got to get some things right. We got to sanctify ourselves. We got to purify ourselves. Uh, educate yourself in the process. We need to get right with God and and go go recover the ark. He learns the proper way to transport the ark. Verse fifteen: The children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders, with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded, according to the word of the Lord. And so, he goes back. We see in this passage, and he educates himself and. He, it would appear that he educated some of the priests and said, hey, here's the right way that we ought to go do this thing. And so they go get it and they use the staves and the rings that God had commanded them to do. Look at verse 13, though. This is where I want to draw your attention tonight. This is 1 Chronicles 15, verse 13. For because he did it not as first, and, he, and he's talking to... Uh, well, let's go to verse 12. And he said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both uh, ye and your brethren, that ye may uh, bring up the ark of the Lord, <clears throat> God of the house, unto the place that I have prepared for it. And so he's talking to these Levites, and he says, uh, For because ye did it not as the first, at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. So they didn't sanctify themselves. They didn't purify themselves. They didn't make themselves right. And so that was why the breach was there. But look at this. For that we... So he includes himself in this. No doubt the Levites should have known the process. And so when David said, hey, we're going to go do this, here's a fancy cart, they should have said, wait a second, David. We can't do it this way. But they didn't. But, and, and so he calls them out on, on their, their error. But I, this verse, he says, for that we sought him not after the due order. And he explains to the people, we didn't do it right. We sought after our God, but we didn't do it according to the way that God had commanded us to do. We must come to God on His terms. We must seek to make the decisions right biblically. Sometimes, like David, we try to do the right thing the wrong way. The biblical way to rectify sin is to return to God and pray as David did. Uh, Psalm 25.4 says this, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. And so David understood their great error. And so he goes back to Jerusalem and, and he uh, goes back to the word of God and says, Lord, how should we do this? And I believe he educated himself in the process and the priests, uh, the Levites went and sanctified themselves and we must return to the Lord and His Word for correction. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God as is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 
Sometimes we want to blame our failure on God. We can't blame our failure on God. He has not failed. He cannot fail. Do you know he's given us all that we need for success? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The people had departed from the word of God. They had failed to, to meditate and to, uh, to learn and to observe and to do all that God had commanded them to do. And consequently, they fell into sin. And the, the amazing thing, the sad thing, I guess I should say, is here we are, we have example after example in the Scriptures. We have God's exhortation and admonishment uh, on how to live our lives. And then we have examples of people that, that did it well and, and people that failed. Yet we do it all the time. We fail miserably all the time. Not because God isn't there and hasn't provided us all the tools that we need, but because we've neglected the things of God. So just as David returned and sought God through the priests or the men of God, uh, today we still have His Word. Do we not? It doesn't fail. That hasn't changed. We just neglect it as the Israelites did in Saul's day. We set it aside and, and we don't make it a priority in our lives. And then we wonder why we have all this trouble. We wonder why we have all these struggles and all these difficulties. And I'm not talking about just the trials that are going to come. Uh, I'm just talking about the troubles that we bring upon ourselves because we've neglected God's word. I'm not talking about the trial of your faith that God allows in our life. I'm talking about your failure because you haven't been in God's word and you're not walking with him. And we get depressed and we get all upset about things and, and we don't know what's going on in life. It's because we haven't sought the Lord. Every day won't be sunshine and butterflies. But the overall direction of our life will be joy and excitement because we have a God that loves us and He takes care of us and He meets our needs. doesn't mean we'll be rich and we'll live in a mansion. It means you're not going to go hungry. He promises to do those things, but we go through these things and, and we feel so dry spiritually because we've neglected God's Word. And then we go to make decisions for our lives, right? Man, I'll pick on you tonight. You've got to lead your family. And you're going to make decisions. And you make a wrong decision. You don't know why. It's because you're not connected to God. You haven't been walking with your God. You haven't been in the Word of God like you ought to be. Life's pretty easy. Life's hard, but it's easy if you would just follow God's book. Uh, I get it. There's challenges. Listen, there's burdens in this room tonight that I don't even know about. There's burdens that you face that I don't understand that I don't have to face. And so I'm not saying that everything is easy tonight, but what I'm telling you is if you would look to God in those times, He's going to give you something from His Word to encourage you and to strengthen you to help you make those right decisions. Don't neglect the Word of God in your life. Listen, we have the local church. 
David goes back and he gets with the Levites and the priests and he says, listen, sanctify yourselves, purify yourselves. We got to figure out how to get this thing right. That's the local church for today. There's a reason we have a church. There's a reason why God gave us pastors. But we neglect to seek them out just like we neglect the word of God. Listen, we could do a lot of good for ourselves just as Christians if we would be just encouraging and exhorting one another and honest with one another. I really believe this, and, I, and it's been a burden on my heart for, for a number of months right now or in recent days, but I don't think we're as candid as we ought to be as Christians. I think if we could come to church and say, listen, I'm struggling with this. And we can have the confidence that our brothers and sisters in Christ are mature enough not to go busybodying about that, but to say, you know what? I struggle similar. And we begin to confess our faults one to another and we begin to pray for one another. I think it would change our church. I think it could change America if our church would just do that. The problem is we got a bunch of busybodies in a bunch of judgmental jerks that aren't mature in Christ to, to, to really encourage and help one another. There is so much that God has given us in our Christian lives to be successful. We just neglect it. Whether that's the word, whether that's just church attendance. Boy, how can the church encourage you if you don't show up? But, well, you all are here tonight, so... Listen, in order to be right with God, you must align your lives with the Word of God. It's that simple. So when there's something wrong in life, you need to just align yourself with God's Word. God's not wrong. You're wrong. And, and so align your life up with His Word. And, and once we rectify sin, right? And, and so we know in Christ we can have the forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you're not saved tonight, if you don't know the Lord... Uh, Christ has paid the debt, and it's a free gift. And if you would just believe uh, in the finished work of Christ, you can be saved. But for the Christians tonight, uh, listen, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So we, we, just, we agree with God that what is taking place in our life is sin. We align ourselves with that in confession and say, God, you know what? You're right. I have failed. I have sinned. Help me. And when we do that, boy, life is joyful. We can really begin to enjoy life. And so look at verses 13 through 15, if you would. <clears throat> I'm going to have to wrap it up here in a moment, but I'll, I'll share a couple more things before we get out of here tonight. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone in six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. <clears throat> so David, he, he makes the sacrifice, and, and I don't know if the six paces in, in the offering was a, uh, some type of a <clears throat> symbolism for the Sabbath of rest, suggesting reverence for God's commands. Uh, I'm not sure why they stopped at, at that point at, at six paces. Uh, but listen, uh, 
Uh, after obeying God's word completely and rectifying their sin, they align their lives with God's word and they become obedient to God's commands, uh, they can begin worshiping joyfully. Uh, David and the priests, I mean, they're just they're dancing and, uh, before the Lord and it says he's dancing with all of his might. David was a mighty man, so I think he was getting after it. Um, in the Bible, it's not the dancing that we often think today. It's not some type of sexual party type thing uh, that we often associate with uh, dancing today. Psalms 30, verses 11 and 12, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Or you, thou hast put off my sackcloth and, burdened me, or, and girded me with gladness. To the end of my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. And so this was just an expression of the joy and the excitement of being right with God. And I can't, I'm not going to give you an example of dancing. Um, <laughs> I, I can't keep a beat, so dancing's tough for me, but... Um, I wouldn't, to be honest, I wouldn't know how to do it. I think we've lost this today. I've been excited for the Lord, and it's caused me to move in, in a certain way, but I, I honestly couldn't tell you exactly what type of dance this was. Uh, Cindy and I went to a wedding one time, and they had a spiritual dancer, and I kind of witnessed that, and, and I don't know if that w- would be it, but what I will tell you this is David was excited about the ability to worship his God once again. And I don't know if you've ever been there and you've had sin in your life and you've dealt with it, the joy that it brings. And you just want to dance. You can get excited about what God's done for you. And, and uh, when we follow God in complete obedience, there is joy and peace knowing that you have a clear conscience before God and man. There's nothing like that. And I'll never forget the day that I was saved and I, I received Christ and I went forward and said, God, I'm a sinner. And I came up from that altar. I w- it was just, I was light as a feather. And, and the burdens were lifted at Calvary and I just felt it was amazing. And listen, we can walk in that today if we would align ourselves in obedience to God's word. Don't neglect it. There's nothing like having a clear conscience before God. Charles Tinley wrote, Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Can you say that tonight? I have a little bit more, but we don't have time for it tonight. But I will tell you this, and as David comes home, verses 16 through 23, uh, and again, it, there's just so much here. And, and Michelle, or Michal, I guess, I, uh, I don't have the... <laughs> Good enough to, to pronounce that properly, but um, his first wife, Saul's daughter, and uh, she despises him in her heart because she sees him dancing before the Lord. And, and, and why exactly that is, she uses the excuse of him in being inappropriate in front of the handmaids and, and those things. But David just says, listen, that was before God. That had nothing to do with anything inappropriate. And, and listen, sometimes when you do the right thing, people are going to ridicule you. This was his wife. It might even be someone in your home, your family, your friends. Uh, listen, just don't forget that it's all about God. It's not about pleasing others. It's not about those things. It's about you getting your life aligned with the Word of God and having the ability to worship your God. So don't let anyone discourage you from that. 
Because family can be difficult. Boy, family can be tough. Perhaps she just wasn't as excited about the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel because she wasn't living for God. And so she despised David. The scripture doesn't give us the reason there, but listen tonight. I don't know what you have in your life. I don't know what error that you have. None of us are perfect. But if you would give those things to God, align yourself with the word of God and and, and confess those things, you can return to that joyous worship to the point where you'll dance before the Lord. I'm not ready for you to do it here. Go home and do it. But I hope you understand what I'm trying to say tonight. Regardless of what you're facing, you can have joy in your God if you would just deal with the things that are not right in your life. Let's pray. Father, tonight we do thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to align our lives with the Word of God, that we would live a life that honors you and glorifies you. And I pray, Lord, that you would point out those areas, Lord, that we do err. And Lord, that we would take those things seriously and that we would deal with them before we have to face judgment. And Father, I just pray tonight that you would just be with our church. I pray that we would align ourselves with your Word and that you would take us to go forth to do great things for the cause of Christ here in Rapid City. Lord, I pray for those that are hurting tonight. Lord, you know the needs of each heart. And I just ask that you would just touch them, encourage them. Lord, help them to know that you love them. Lord, be with those that, Lord, may need conviction. Lord, I pray that you touch their heart. Lord, bring them to a place that they cannot resist. Lord, that they would, Lord, deal with those things that you would have them to deal with. And Father, tonight we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together. We pray that you would be with us as we go. We ask, Lord, that you would give us safety as we travel home and We pray for our pastor that you would just give him safety as he makes his way back. And Lord, we look forward to seeing him on Sunday. And we pray that you would just bless him, fill him with your spirit, Lord, as he will preach your word. And we'll give you the glory for all that you do here. In Jesus' name, amen.